Well, good morning and welcome to Ritson Road Alliance Church Online. Wherever or however you are watching, we are so glad that you have decided to join us for the next 40 or so minutes. My name is Chris Corbin, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here at the church. And I want to let you know that we continue to work towards our phased reopening of the church, and we're looking to begin August 9th. And so I want to say thank you for your continued support, both in prayer and as you've given financially. Everything that we are able to do is because of your generosity and giving. If you've been impacted by any of our messages, we would invite you to share them with your social circle. Or perhaps what is even, has even more impact is for you to consider sharing the ways that God has been at work in you through these messages. What better way is there to share the good news of Jesus than for you to share the ways that he has been at work in your life, the things that he has been teaching you? Because no one can reach your family, your friends, or your co-workers quite like you. This morning, we invite you to engage with our service. There are a whole bunch of different ways that you can connect this morning. Maybe you want to sing out loud, or maybe you want to take some notes. And I really want to invite you to spend some time responding to the questions for reflection at the end of the service. Our hope really is that you will take time during this service to connect with God in a way that is meaningful to you. Let's start our service with a word of prayer and then let's dig in. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we come to you this morning and we invite you to, to meet with us. Lord, we come with an expectancy that we will connect with you, that we will hear your voice, that you will lead us into deeper truth. And Lord, we just pray that this service would have an impact far beyond our own lives, that you would be reaching into this world with the message of your love and for your kingdom and your grace. So we ask you, Lord, to be glorified in our service this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's worship together. I want to welcome you back to our series on the broken road as we explore what it looks like to journey with Jesus in the broken areas of our lives. More and more, especially over the past few years, I have become convinced that the people I know who possess a deep, a lasting, and a radically transformative faith are those who have been willing to come face to face with their own brokenness. They are those individuals who are not afraid to trust God with every detail or aspect of their lives. Unfortunately, it has also been my experience that in our Western culture, and in many ways the evangelical church, there is an aversion towards brokenness. Being broken is viewed as a sign of weakness or failure. And in the church, our brokenness is often seen as a lack of faith or trust in God. And I believe that this is a mindset that we desperately need to change, especially in the church. Recently, I came across a quote that I have found helpful in reframing my view of brokenness. Vance Havner, an evangelist, once said this, God uses broken things. He takes broken soil to produce a crop. 
broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, and broken bread to give strength. I was instantly captured by the image of the broken soil. It's soil that is broken and plowed and prepared that allows for deep roots and fertile growth. And so much like broken soil that has been plowed and prepared for planting, God actually longs for our hearts to be soft and prepared because it's a soft heart that is receptive and accessible to God. And so it's in our brokenness that we are actually preparing the soil of our souls and our hearts to be prepared for the Holy Spirit and for the life of Christ to take deep root in our lives. And one of the ways that we soften our hearts is actually through the act of repentance. Author and theologian J.I. Packard gives a wonderful description of repentance, and I invite you to listen. In the military, nobody doubts what's meant. When the order is given, halt, about turn, quick march. It means that the soldiers are being told to turn their backs on the direction in which they were going and to start marching in the opposite direction from the way they were going before. And that's what repentance is. You see, human beings by instinct, and this is uh, our fallenness finding expression, by instinct we walk at a distance from God. And God says, turn round, face me, and walk towards me. The basic problem with fallen human nature is that we all want to be independent of God. God says, stop it. And the reason why the theme of repentance is neglected, as indeed it is, not only in modern secular society, but in the church, is because it's a costly thing to repent. It does mean reshaping your life in quite a radical way. And people, just because they find it too costly as a prospect, they try to devise a way of being Christian which doesn't involve anything as radical as about turn quick march. And we who preach the gospel and seek to explain Christianity to folk, we, I think, have to take that as a challenge and talk a great deal about, a great deal more about repentance and the necessity of it than most of us do. The end, of course, of walking Godward is that fellowship with God becomes a real and rich reality more and more as one lives the life of repentance. And those of us who, by God's grace, have begun to learn to do it, testify, if asked, to the joy of the new life of being closer and closer to the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Until one begins to take repentance seriously, this is going to be a closed book to you.
So I beg you, start taking repentance seriously. Will you do that? I'm so captured by Packer's description when he describes God saying this, turn around, face me, and walk towards me. I wonder what, what feelings, emotions, or responses are stirred up in you when you think about turning towards God. As he was reading that, I tried to picture myself in that moment when God is calling out to me saying, Chris, turn around, face me, and come to me. And when I do that, I find that I'm actually flooded with a whole bunch of different thoughts and emotions. Initially, there is a sense of excitement. God knows my name. He's calling me. And then that sense of excitement is followed by a sense of wonder. Why, why is God calling me? What is it that he wants? And then there's almost this sense of worry or anxiety that re replaces that wonder and excitement. Oh no, what have I done wrong? And then it, there's this sense of guilt or sorrow. God, I know what I've done wrong. Do you know what I've done? And then perhaps that initial sense of excitement, it, it actually turns into this sheepish, head bowed low approaching of God, like a kid who knows that he's guilty. And so as I slowly turn and cautiously begin to approach God, I respond with a quiet voice, yes, Lord. And then with a firmness and at the same time with a gentleness and with grace and love, I hear his voice it says, you are heading in the wrong direction. The path you were headed down, it will only lead to hurt, to pain, to death. Come, follow me. Fix your eyes and your thoughts on me. Live the life I show you. There's fullness of life here. Perhaps you want to take a moment and, and picture yourself in that same place where God is calling you, where he's inviting you to turn around and to face him. He's inviting you to come near. How would you respond? Do you turn to face God? Or do you keep looking back in the direction that you were headed, kind of torn between what you were doing and what you long to really do? which is to seek God. What emotions or feelings do you feel? For me, this was a really powerful way to see what's really in my heart. Do I long to truly follow God? Or am I more concerned with going my own way? You see, repentance is acknowledging the fact that we are not headed towards God, but we're actually headed away from Him. I think so many times our understanding of repentance has been reduced to just this idea of saying, I'm sorry. But true biblical repentance is more than just saying sorry. It is actually even more than just a change in behavior. I won't do that again. Biblical repentance is about changing your mind, your purpose. It's changing the way you think, it, the way you live and act. It's about bringing everything about your life into alignment with God. It's about forsaking the former thoughts, or the actions that we used to live by, the attitudes 
the, the whole life we used to live. And it's about embracing a new life that be, can be found only in Jesus Christ. And as Packer also said, this is a radical act. As we turn away from sin and as we turn towards God, when we fix our eyes on him and not on ourselves or not even on our sins, we don't just alleviate the feelings of guilt that we have. We actually begin to cultivate deep joy and deeper communion with God. And like we heard in our kids moment a few minutes ago with Amanda, this is an act of obedience that actually brings us in closer to God. It brings us into communion with him. So the question is, what does it look like to walk in repentance? Well, there's a number of steps that we can follow to, to come to this place of repentance. And the first step is actually to acknowledge our need for repentance. We need to acknowledge that there are things in our lives that are not aligned with God. When King David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and many of us know this story, and David, you know, he sleeps with Bathsheba, and he has her husband killed, and, and then he's actually confronted by one of God's messengers. And David recognizes that he sinned. And when he did that, he turns to God in repentance. And Psalm 51 is actually a record of David's heart of repentance. And he says this, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In this psalm, we actually see David using three different words for sin, or the ways in which his life was out of alignment with God. He speaks of iniquity, sin, and transgression, and transgression is really, it's rebellion against God's authority or his laws. It, it's knowing what God commands of us and choosing not to do that. And then there's iniquity, which is really, it's a distortion of the way things should be. This is wickedness or evil. Like this is flat out rebellion and opposition to God. And then there's sin, which is just missing the mark for God's design for our life. So there's just a whole variety of ways in which our lives can be out of alignment with God. And so we need to make sure that we avoid being defensive or shifting blame. God can't cleanse our excuses. God cannot cleanse what we won't admit or confess. And so we actually have to acknowledge that there are areas that are broken and out of alignment, where there are sins and iniquity and transgression. Because the truth is, there is no freedom without forgiveness, and there is no forgiveness without repentance. Now, sometimes we have no trouble knowing the ways that our lives are out of order, out of alignment with God. They're pretty plain. We're pretty obvious. But there are other times when, in order for us to know the things that are out of alignment with God, we actually need to ask him. And so in Psalm 139, the author of the Psalms demonstrates what it looks like to inquire of God. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is in any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
I love that. See if there is any offensive way in me. When you pray these kinds of prayers, don't be surprised when you get an answer. God is not a vague God who will speak general condemnation over you. That's not him at all. In fact, if there is sin or guilt in your life or things that are out of alignment with his way of living and with, with who he is, he's going to reveal those things to you. And he will usually show you specific moments in your life where he wants to bring correction. I want you to know, though, that God's ways are always restorative. He disciplines us and he reveals our sin with love and mercy. The Bible even tells us it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. On the other hand, the enemy of our soul, Satan, he tends to speak in vague generalities. He just proclaims like blanket clouds of condemnation over you. And so if you hear accusing words like, you are such a terrible person, you're a failure, you're irredeemable, unforgivable, you need to know that those are words of Satan. Those are words that will keep you locked away from finding God's freedom, from finding forgiveness. Because Satan, he longs to keep you from finding those things. He longs to keep you from finding healing and restoration. And yet God in his mercy leads us to repentance. The next step in repentance is that we need to bring our sin into the light. When God shines his light into our hearts, when he reveals our sins to us, he's revealing the darkness that's in us. He's revealing what is out of alignment with him. But it's really up to us to respond. In 1 John 1, 6-9, we read this. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When John is speaking here of confessing our sins, he's not just talking about confessing to God, but rather to each other. This is often the place that the evangelical church has one of the hardest times. We push back against this idea of confessing our sins to somebody. We like to say things like, well, I've confessed my sins before God. That should be enough. Besides, only God can forgive. And yet throughout scripture, the implication or the context behind confession and bringing our sins into the light is in reference to one another. We are actually called to bring our brokenness and our sinfulness out into the open. James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins to one another. Now, I don't agree with the, church, the Catholic Church with respect to the fact that a priest is capable of absolving someone of their sins. But what I appreciate is their commitment to the act of verbal confession, acknowledging the areas where their life is out of alignment and not congruent with the life that God has called us to live. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, 
but he who confesses and forsakes them, forsake them will obtain mercy. Author Norman Grubb in his book Continuous Revival says this, Openness before man is the genuine proof of sincerity before God. Hiding the truth about ourselves before men, pretending to be better than we really are, is the supreme sin which Jesus drove home to the Pharisees. What he's saying is that if we want to demonstrate our genuine sorrow, our genuine sincerity in turning back towards God, we actually need to be willing to bring our sins before other people. Now, saying this, I don't recommend that you go out and confess to just anyone, telling everybody all of the things about your life. I recommend finding someone who is safe, someone who won't judge you but will receive you in love and will continue to point you back to Jesus, someone who will help you fix your eyes on him, who will speak God's forgiving grace over your life. Not someone who will absolve you of your sin, but someone who points you to the God who can redeem you. Now, I know that this is hard, and you may be thinking, if you only knew the things that I have thought or done, how could they possibly love me or accept me? And I want to remind you just briefly of two of the most powerful truths of the gospel message. One, we are all sinners saved by grace. There is no one who is righteous apart from God. And the second one is that there is no sin too great that Jesus cannot forgive. Well, the third step in seeking repentance is actually asking God for his forgiveness. And I want to remind you of what J.I. Packer said. He said, repentance is a radical thing. And it's a radical thing because bringing ourselves back into alignment with God doesn't usually start with this happy, joyful experience. We don't tend to rush out to confess our brokenness, our waywardness. In fact, repentance usually starts with having a broken and contrite heart. It takes a heart that genuinely wants to change. And we know that this is only by God's grace, that we even have a broken and contrite heart. But it's with this contrite heart, it's with a true sense of remorse that we actually ask God to forgive us. Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church tells us this. He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. The worldly sorrow brings death. And what's interesting to note is that there's a couple different kinds of sorrow. The first one is worldly sorrow, which says, I'm sorry I got caught. And really, it's more of this idea that, well, I'm sorry I have to deal with the consequences. I was hoping I'd get away with it. Then there's godly sorrow. And godly sorrow is the sorrow that says, I am truly broken over my sin. I really am sorry for the way I acted. I'm sorry for the ways that I hurt you or offended you. And it's only when we come to this place of being genuinely broken genuinely experiencing remorse over our sinfulness that we can even change. It's only then that we can truly come back into alignment with God. And it's when we are in alignment with God that he actually helps us to remain focused with our eyes fixed on him that we have the ability to overcome temptation 
that may come our way again. And so the final step to repentance is this. It's allow the Holy Spirit to comfort you. Allow Jesus to heal your wounds. Jesus wants to bring you healing. He longs to restore your life to the ways that God intended for you to live. And as you repent, as you turn towards Jesus and, and bring your life into alignment with him, he's going to bring healing and restoration to those wounded and broken areas. Charles Finney once wrote, Revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. And I love that because when our lives are brought back into alignment with God, there should be a rejoicing. There should be fresh hope because we have been given new life. And this is worthy of celebration. Luke 15, 7 tells us, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You see, in Jesus Christ, there's this fullness of life. There is peace. There is joy unexplainable. There is celebration. And when we experience this kind of life, we can't help but share it. We cannot help but tell others about God's great mercy and kindness towards us. I think if we long to experience this kind of life, we must first be willing to acknowledge our brokenness to turn from our sins and turn our hearts and our minds towards God and to seek him. So let me ask you this. Is, your, is the soil of your heart and soul prepared for God? Are you receptive to the ways he wants to work in your life? Are you willing to take seriously your need for repentance? Will you hear the voice of God calling you to turn and to face him and to move towards him? Will you walk in obedience, seeking God's face and turning from your sin? Let's pray. Well, Father, we come to you and I am so thankful that you do call us. You call out to us and say, turn from your ways, face me and come towards me that you long for us to, to give up the ways of sin and, and iniquity and transgression, rebellion towards you, walking in our own ways and coming into alignment with your calling, with your way of living, where there is peace and there's joy and there's hope, there's forgiveness, there's freedom and healing and restoration. So Lord, may our hearts and our souls be prepared for you. May they be broken and prepared soften to receive your word, to hear your voice, that we would turn and face you. And may you be honored and glorified in our lives, Lord Jesus. I pray this in your name.